Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Liam Clifford. And I'm your co-host, Gavin Tolometti. And we are here with Hader Al-Tahan today. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, Hader, tell us a bit about yourself. You know, what's your trajectory look like? And, you know, how did you end up here at Western? Oh, dude. Uh, oh, man. Uh, it's a quite long story, but I'll make it short. I, I think uh, during my high school years, I, I wanted to do program. or I was very into programming. But when I wanted to go into university, I didn't want to do programming at all. I wanted to do something different. And so I went into psychology. And uh, uh, during that point, I sort of knew nothing about psychology. And it sort of grew on me and I wanted to do research in psychology. And I think during my second year, I was like, wait a second, I could also do computer science because it's, it's not something that I haven't done before. I could do it. And so I started doubling ma- double majoring in computer science and psychology and uh, got involved into research. The first research that I got into was um, about memory and cognition. So something about working memory. And then I moved on to go into more um, computer science. Uh, so I got involved in visuomotor. So it's uh, how, do we, how do we navigate our hand movement in relation to our vision. And then I also got involved into speech. Uh, I started working with uh, a speech language pathologist from a kids hospital on uh, trying to um, help individuals with articulation problem. And then lastly, I actually joined two labs that were strictly computer science, one who was focused more on audio and the other on vision. And that sort of like morphed my understanding of what I like to do and what type of research, what type of problems that I want to solve. And so when I joined Western uh, with my supervisor, uh, she, she does something similar. She, she sort of used neuroscience, computer science, and the projects are uh, sometimes in between neuroscience and computer science. And other times it could be strictly computer science. I haven't done strictly neuroscience in a while now since my undergrad yeah that is my background yeah it's like quite an interesting uh journey you've taken to get where you are originally starting through high schools through computer science and then looking at psychology and thinking, you know what i want to be able to learn more about the human mind in a different way but then realizing you could apply what you already knew to learning more about it and then you started to look more it started to include neuroscience into it as well so with three different backgrounds that seem to be merging into one. What is like the main topic you're trying to focus on as, as part of your research? So in general, uh, I would say AI, but I am also interested. In, so globally, I'm interested in building machines that are capable to navigate through our environment uh, by themselves. So that, that would be my ultimate goal. But I guess the way I would reach to that goal, at least the way I see it, is to use this interdisciplinary uh, ideas. So for instance, uh, not only would I like to build modules that would build on eventually reaching this global machine, 
where it is able to navigate through the world. But I would like to understand how does our human brain does it. Um, so we could get inspired by it, hopefully, and make better machines. So one example of how this had happened before was in something like attention. So in psychology, we know something, we know, some, uh, we know what attention is. Attention is one of those mechanisms that allow us to focus on one thing and ignore whatever else is, uh, is in, our, in our environment, whether it was for vision or for speech. So if we were sitting in a bar and there's a lot of noises, we know how to isolate that one sound that is talking to us directly. So in computer science, we, uh, people have actually used this sort of idea of attention in neural networks. Neural networks is one of those algorithms that learn through data, right? Uh, I'm sorry if I jumped too far with this. No, no, idea. no, that's, that, that's perfect. I think it provides context as to what a master's student in the, com in the computer science department here at Western um, is, is really seeking to do with, with, with their research. So where do you even begin with seeking to replicate human behavior and perception in, in machines? Like, I have no background in this. How would you perhaps explain it to someone who, who is not well-versed in the field? So it depends on the question you asked is how can we replicate uh, what we have in the human brain, right? Is that the sort of, so there's more multi less, yeah. a multi-layer, uh, there's multiple layers to this question. Are we trying to mimic the output or the behavior or are we trying to uh, mimic the neuronal activation that happened in the brain? Do we want the same representation to happen in, in our neural networks or do we want just the behavior? We don't care what the neuronal representation the neural network decided to decided on, but we care what the output is. That, and that is, it, it perceives the words. So if, if I were to say, okay, let's say we want to come up with the best system that does the behavior, but we don't care about the intermediate layers or systems. Uh, then I, I would say, yeah, go on and start with uh, AI and investigate, go through the computer science background. I think uh, this is the most important thing. But if you're interested in may maybe using some of the ideas in uh, how our brain does it, or you want to replicate some of the neuronal, or if you want to also understand how the brain does it, you could even use those machines for this task, I think. Hater, uh, Ariel here, the producer, just wanted to mm -hmm. butt in with a little question. You know, it, yeah. um, it's really cool to look at it on a, on a broad scale. Like, how does it apply? What's the general goal of what you're doing? And we can, yeah. I can really understand um, how interesting it would be to apply what you're doing to the idea of um, an algorithm or a computer functioning similarly to how, how humans or an animal functions inside of their brain so on, on that level it it kind of makes sense for anyone who doesn't even understand how to do what you're doing could you maybe explain kind of on a day-to-day -day basis what what do you do presumably oh, computers are involved right <laughs> so how do you go from like i'm sitting down at a computer and like step one like you know what is what are you interacting with what do you what are the tools what's a, okay. what's a day look like for hater okay so it depends on what type of question that I want to tackle. If it was pure computer science, um, typically that would involve uh, 
looking at previous literature and understanding what the uh, what has been done so far. Because in writing re uh, computer science papers, uh, there is a huge emphasis on state of the art. So your 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 algorithm, your whatever improvement you you've added to the literature, uh, supposed to show that and the results that on this metric it has better results. And so, if I was to tackle computer science, I usually start with an idea of what how I could improve on it, and then start computing that metric with the baseline, and then compare it to the baseline. Is it improving or is it degrading? Is it is it better or is it worse? So, and for computer science, that that would be the idea. And some, most often than not, you would end up not getting anywhere. But uh, if it was like neuroscience, computer science project, uh, often you're interested in the results themselves and not relative to something else. Like, um, often uh, that's general. I uh, just to make that clear. Uh, but you would start with okay. So I have a neural network. I have a human brain. Um, now I want to compare them. Do they do the same? Uh, uh, sorry, do they operate the same way? Do they share the same representations? Do they share something similar, something different? That end by itself is somewhat exploratory and uh, also is insightful. So it, it, dep it, it very depends on the question itself. So in your in your particular research, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, of course, how our research questions shape the research that we're engaging on. What particular questions are you currently dealing with, and how do you then apply that to your study? I'm particularly uh, interested in. Uh, well, I could I could explain my recent one, uh, recent project that I'm very interested in. Yeah, and, please uh, do. Working on. So. I brought up attention previously, and uh, it was one of the things that I'm actually re recently interested in is how can we have, um, how can we introduce an attention to a neural network? Um, so if we were give, to give it an image, sure, it, it could go through this image and by itself, but I want it at some point, I want it to focus on a specific area. So if it was a, a scene and it had a, one person standing in the middle of the scene. I would want it at some point uh, to focus on the face or I would want it to focus on something in the body that would end up being very important for the end task. And the end task could be anything. Uh, so what I've done recently is uh, use some of the previous literature where they showed something called self-attention uh, blocks. With, so usually within a neural network, you're dealing with sort of like blocks. And uh, these blocks like a, are like sequences where you feed in your inputs, which could be an image, video, audio, anything. And then it would go through those blocks sequentially. So what I was thinking, uh, previous literature, what they introduced is, by, uh, is that they showed that, well, if we get one of the outputs of those blocks and then essentially find fine tune it in a way that would impose this sort of attention mechanism into it. Uh, and that, that has been my very recent interest in, uh, in trying to solve. I, I'm not really solve, but try to improve. And my, my I, current idea is, well, what if we create a mini neural network 
that takes some high-level information from the intermediate layers and then cast it into this attention rather than get it strictly from the previous layer or previous block. <laughs> and that, uh, what I'm thinking is that maybe that high-level information would help this uh, neural network do its job more efficiently. I, I would love, actually, if I had a chart right now, I could draw it out and it would look way more reasonable. <laughs> no, absolutely. I can, I can certainly understand how, how it can be challenging to, to articulate some, some of these concepts that you're dealing with on a daily basis and then, and then trying to synthesize it all. So um, unfortunately, a podcast is, is devoid of, of, of said yeah. physical pleasures. So, um, but no, really, really, really kind of interesting. Um, I think it's, I think it's interesting how you incorporate, um, you know, something that we certainly take for granted as, as human beings in attention and how it seems to be almost fleeting nowadays, uh, in the, in the digital age. So in regards, so I know you talk about a bit about the human brain now. Mm -hmm. I know this is an organ that we're continuing to learn about, you know, on a daily basis. Yeah. How do you, you know, what, what sort of data are you gaining from the human brain? Are you, are you finding that the brain and the machines that you're comparing it with um, have a lot of similarities? Or are you finding that they are sort of, um, you know, inherently different in their, in their compositions? So little of both. Uh... I think uh, so far what we've seen, if we were to train, and it's a very recent paper, uh, not very recent, I think 2016, 2017, uh, one of the authors is Taralba from MIT, where he showed that uh, a, a deep neural network, a network that is trained on classification problem. So is it a dog, a cat? Oh, uh, whatever it is, how, how similar it is to the human brain. And what they did, the way they compared it with the human brain is they used two types of data, MAG and fMRI. And they looked at the, some area in the brain called the uh, dorsal uh, ventral stream. So this, this area in the brain uh, responsible for uh, specifically what the object is. And so what they found is that is that similar to the human brain, the neural network has some, goes from low level information to high level information to the, uh, of the image. So let me try to elaborate on this point. So the way our, our brain does it is, uh, let's say this is our acceptable lobe. Uh, we see a certain object, it goes to our acceptable lobe. Um, then it goes to the uh, dorsal ventral stream, right? Now, within the stream, there's multiple uh, areas. Each area is responsible for a certain thing. Uh, early areas uh, that this information go in, goes into uh, are typically known uh, to, be, to be more focused on uh, low-level features, so features like edges within an image. And then higher, higher, more, the further you go into the stream, you'll see areas are more clustering or categorizing the, the certain object or components within an image. So 
actually, there's multiple areas. There's a fusiform, which is responsible for specifically for faces. Uh, I think there is also areas where they've been shown for like something like our hand, our other body parts. Uh, is there any other one that I'm not sure about? Uh, I think I think there are quite a few. There's there is scene animates, and then objects are are, are usually very versatile or like there's no one area responsible for that at least from uh, what i know uh now what's interesting is when we train this neural network we see similar patterns and so in the early layers we see that the output of those early layers within a neural network is that actually are useful to um actually does the, the edge uh, characterization and then the deeper you go into our neural network, you will see that it's those deeper layers are responsible for like categorical information rather than low level information. And that's what's interesting right now. With all like have, training it to be able to uh, identify and it will tell apart different images and categorize them. The human brain is complicated enough trying to figure out how we do that, but I can't imagine using a neural network and training artificial intelligence to be able to tell even two objects, uh, uh, trying to think of a good example. I'm guessing like we have two objects that probably maybe look very similar. The best example I can think of is when you see a jacuzzi in a hot tub, that to us, we can tell that that's a hot tub and that's a jacuzzi. But I imagine if you try to explain that to a neural network, it's gonna keep saying, it's either, for a while it's gonna keep saying, it, they're both hot tubs in my point of view. Um, is there anything that, from what you know of and what from, from the backline literature that you've read, have there been many troubles trying to categorize two different objects that we know are different, but the neural network has trouble uh, distinguishing? Yeah, I think those sorts of problem are usually discussed within literature as adversarial examples. So examples are very hard to guess. I am not quite sure about that literature. Like I haven't read a lot into it. Uh, but it's usually the, the, our main goal when we try to train those uh, neural network is to do this sort of distinction between those two classes. And the, the way we train those neural network is on a loss function. And the loss function is what we want this neural network to do is to optimize for this loss function and decrease to the minimum. So our loss function in case of classifying whether it's a cat, a blue cat, or sorry, a black cat or a white cat, right? Um, would be how correct are you at doing this task? Uh, so we keep asking it that same question with different images of different cats and then do this sort of distinction. So when we train those neural network, I, I would like to make this clear we do not restrict it in any way. We do, not, we do not tell it what the intermediate layers should be or what the weights are or what anything is. All we care about is if we give it this image, we expect it to give us this output. And if it doesn't, then we're gonna penalize it and ask it to update its weights. It weights is like its neurons, right? You could, it finds a way to update those weights to eventually reach the same uh, accuracy. And so with more data, uh, that's often why it's being said that with more data, we could actually get better results because 
uh, it sees more examples. Yeah, it looks like it, like as with machine learning, as we expect, it literally is just teaching itself that you say, okay, here's the answer and let's see your answer. Oh, your answer is incorrect. You're going to have to go back and redo everything and try to figure out how you can get to the right answer that we just showed you. And, yeah. since, and since you show it so many examples, I imagine you, you probably have to give many different examples of the same type of image just to see if it could still identify what the object or creature yeah. is at, I guess, different angles, different, sh does like shadowing have an effect on it as well? Yeah, definitely. So one interesting thing, and uh, uh, I've worked on, and we've recent, very recently uh, archived this paper, is about self-supervised. So what, what I've told you so far is supervised, what, what we call it often is supervised learning. So we know the labels, and we're trying to teach this network based on these labels. So what I have recently archived is something called self-supervised. Uh, learning. Self-supervised learning does not depend on the labels. And what we do is we say, if we have two images, both of them are cats, we expect the high-level information to be the same for those two cats. And if we had some other cat or a dog, we expect this high-level information to be, to be different as much as possible. And so in, this, my, in my new work, we didn't do it on images, but it has been done on images. I've done it on audio. But what, what we do is use augmentation. And what augmentation does is, let's say you have an image of a cat. The way you would augment this image is by, let's say, masking a certain block within that image to be completely black or to add some noise to the image by doing Gaussian noise. But so you, it's, it becomes really blurry that you can't even see it. Not, not even us can see it, right? So, and what you do is feed it to the neural network and say, I expect it to be the same representation or the same information at the end as, so the real one should be as, same, as close as possible to the augmented one, even though you can barely see it. And that is another type of learning where you could show you could actually improve on uh, on the, on the typical supervised learning by using this method. Very interesting. I tell you what, I am I'm learning loads. This is again, like I said, this is completely out of my depth. And Hader, I don't know if you saw Ariel's face. I believe he is in neuroscience, and the smile beamed across his yeah, face I, when you mentioned parts of the brain. So, so <laughs> I can't see how long it would take for everyone to notice. Like, it's a see the on it, just getting wider. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely noticed that. I, I hope that I didn't say anything wrong. <laughs> no, it's uh, no. We 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 reassure you that you are in good faith in this conversation. Now, as our interview winds down. Um, we always do like to ask how, at least in the COVID era, how the virus has impacted your research, if at all. Do you want to just speak to any implications that it's had, um, you know, on your work thus far? Oh, definitely. I, I think uh, it, it, um, it definitely did affect my mental state in a way that I, I was going insane, to be honest, because I was sitting at home the whole day. It, it was mm -hmm. just going uh tiring at, at all times so i decided even to go to the lab um a few days of the week and just work there uh, that's what that was one way to gain, gain my sanity back mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, abs- absolutely. And I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure many of us share that same sentiment. So, um, yeah, we, we, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah. Was there anything you wanted to leave our audience with? Maybe a quick little message on, you know, overall, oh, the overall gist of your work? Uh, yeah, I have not covered all of the things that I've, uh, I've done. Um, but uh, for my recent, most recent work, the, the one about supervised rendering, if anybody is interested, you could uh, either visit my website, uh, H-A-I-D-E-R-A-L-T-A-H-A-N.com. You'll find the paper up there. Yeah, if, if, you ha- if anybody have any question after this too, feel free to email me. The email should be on my website too. I guess I'll, I'll uh, finish off with a nice question that we like to ask people. Um, okay. uh, if somebody were listening and they were interested in the computer science like, you were, okay. like you're doing, and they were yeah. like, wow, this is amazing, and uh, I really want to study something like hater studying, and this sounds cool. How do I, how do I get involved? How, what would you be able to say to somebody like that? Uh, how does one get into this field, if not going uh, necessarily via the uh, I, I think, tumultuous uh, route you took? Yeah, I think the, the best way to do it, I, I think I took a way, way non-easy route to, to how I got to this position. But I think, uh, I, I think the best way to get started is to reach out to supervisors and get to know them and uh, tell them what you're interested in. And if they're, if they're interested too, they'll, they'll, give, they'll pitch you an idea and who knows where that would take you. I think, I think that's, that, that's the best part. I think uh, I learned more from my supervisors over the year than I've learned through courses. I think I hated courses, to be honest. <laughs> I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I've been given the heave-ho by the producer. Um, so, Hater, we want to thank you very much for coming on. Um, I really do think that um, the application to attention uh, is, of, is of utmost importance. Well, this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Liam Clifford, and my co-host was Gavin Tolometti. We've been speaking with Hater Al-Tahan, and this episode was produced by Ariel Frame. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at gradcastradio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a good one.